Hello, welcome to Phase One, a podcast about working in the life sciences industry. I'm your host, Ashley Martins. And I'm Chris Ashworth. And welcome to the first episode of the series. So throughout this interview series, we will explore the biographical career journeys of professional leaders and subject matter experts, current events in the life sciences industry and its future. Our goal here at Phase One is to give you insights into the life sciences industry, whether it be career advice, current events happening in the industry, or speculating on what the future holds. In late 2019, several emerging professionals were able to attend the ISPE, or International Society of Pharmaceutical Engineers, annual conference in Las Vegas, and were paired up with subject matter experts as mentors that shared interests in similar industry niches. Ashley and I interviewed emerging professionals and the subject matter experts that attended the conference, asking their insights about their experience there. We'll be talking with a few emerging professionals out of the Kansas City office. Eric Kornstrom is a process lead, Curtis O'Hearn is a project manager, and Paige Howell is a process engineer. Let's start with you, Eric. Was this the first conference you attended? Um, This was not the first conference I've attended, but it was similar to many of the pharmaceutical industry conferences that I've been to in the past. Uh, But I would say that um, the experience I had this time around was better because of the emerging professionals um, going into this with an execution plan, a topic that we wanted to learn about, and a mentor to learn from and bounce questions off of along the way. Um, And the conference was also a good reminder for us that that the work we do um, helps to bring critical healthcare products to patients, uh, which is often forgotten uh, while working on the design side of the industry. And how about you, Curtis? Well, since I hadn't been to a national one before, it was a lot bigger. Um, really, the, the local ones, I think, were more about salesmanship. A lot of the local vendors are pitching their products, and this one was more about education. Um, it was kind of more of a collaborative conference, and the scale is just a lot bigger. There's a lot of technical presentations, a lot of general, like, this is where the industry's going. So scale was just a lot bigger. Interesting. Paige, what was your favorite part about the conference? Favorite part of the conference uh, was probably making connections with a lot of IPS employees that I don't see on a regular basis since we're in a remote office. So I got to have breakfast um, with Mark Butler and even got to meet people and emerging professionals that I hadn't actually met in person before. Eric, what was one thing you learned at the conference? One interesting thing I learned in the presentation sessions was the overall approach to regulatory product filings for biologics products. For example, process validation batches and their data are required in biologics license applications. Um, Process validation runs can lengthen the timeline for getting products to market in the case of biologic products applications. Uh, This is why I found it even more interesting that some companies are working with the regulatory agency to fast-track certain life-saving products, such as CAR-T therapies, by running concurrent validation with the biologic license application, which can really help to get products to patients in need more efficiently. Curtis, what do you think could have been improved about the conference? I don't think we had a great idea being our first conference as emerging professionals of how it was going to go or what that was going to look like. I think we would choose a topic well in advance and do your research beforehand and get prepped to go out there and then listen to people, you know, owners, vendors, whoever it is. 
Um, there's a lot of government people out there as well, FDA people that do trainings. Uh, I think it's more of a supplemental thing to expand upon what you sh- really should have done probably before you went out there. So, learning experience. Sounds like they all had fun in Vegas. Thanks to everyone for sharing your insights with us. If the ISPE annual meeting and expo sounds like something you're interested in, be sure to check back in for information on the 2020 conference. Alrighty, so for our next segment, we are going to be interviewing Joanne Maloro. Joanne is the newly appointed Director of Strategic Initiatives at IPS. She has over 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry, with the past 12 years specifically focused on commissioning and qualification projects. She does work with organizations like Women in Bio, the National Institutes of Health, and also has a side hustle life coaching business. Yeah, we had a really interesting conversation about her career that was definitely not a linear path, and also how she prides herself in being a motivational leader in her industry, as well as at her job. Stay tuned and check out what Joanne had to say. Welcome, Joanne Maloro. She is the Director of Strategic Initiatives at IPS and also known as the Director of Motivation here at IPS. She is also a life coach, and Chris and I are super excited to get to know her a little bit more. Welcome. Thanks, guys. So just one thing I'll just quickly add to you. It's crazy that I have these two titles, right? Um, Mm -hmm. When I was first approached by uh, Vince Sebular and Mike Westerman, the leaders of the CQV group here at IPS, they uh, pitched this new role to me, and they called it Director of Momentum. Oh, and get so out. that's sort of like the internal title. And, and uh, on my business, I have actually two sets of business cards. One says uh, Director of Strategic Initiatives, and the other one says Director of Momentum. So uh, really, it is just to keep momentum going for strategic activities here in our department and across um, all service categories, really. But um, they were worried that people outside our company wouldn't get the momentum piece. Wouldn't It wouldn't make sense to them and it would raise a lot of questions and maybe not take me seriously. So hence the director of strategic initiatives. It sounds a lot more corporate and a lot more people could relate to that. But personally, I really groove on the director of momentum because I think that it's the momentum that keeps us moving in a positive direction. Yeah, that's a title for uh, Facebook and not so much LinkedIn. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Although I don't have it on my LinkedIn profile. All right. So um, let's start at the beginning of your, uh, I guess we'll say, career journey. Uh, So you went to Rutgers. what did you major in there? Yeah, so I had lots of majors at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl. I was uh, raised there. And uh, when I first went in as a freshman, I was accepted into generally you know, one of the science programs. So I started as a biology major because I liked biology in high school, took AP bio and all that stuff. And uh, so I was a bio major for a semester and I was a little bored in the labs. And so I switched to chemistry. I found my chemistry laboratory experience was a lot more exciting to me. Uh, And then I was a chem major uh, through my second year. And then uh, in my dorms, I'd met a lot of people who were pharmacy majors. I'd never even considered pharmacy as a possibility in high school. I don't know. It was a different time, a different era. And uh, that really intrigued me. So I applied for and was accepted into the pharmacy program. So I was uh, in the College of Pharmacy at Rutgers through my third and into the beginning of my fourth, uh, fourth year. All right. So that's 
helping your career as it is right now. Yeah, crazy story is that, again, different era, not a lot of uh, women, not a lot of mentors for me that were women. Uh, So I started working as an, um, you know, a spare job. My extra job was uh, in pharmacy. I worked in a variety of hospital pharmacy and a retail pharmacy. And uh, all the pharmacists that I knew at that time, I loved it. It was super fun working in a hospital pharmacy. But the pharmacists that I worked with were all going back to school for something else computer science at the time. This was uh, the early 1980s. Going back for computer science, going to medical school, going to law school. And here I was, you know, knocking myself out uh, with very rigorous course studies. Um, And a lot of my friends were in different majors, non-science majors. And it just seemed to me that why uh, the thought that I had was, why am I really going crazy with this very, very difficult major when the people who are working in this field are not happy. Right. right. So I did uh, one of the things that I regret most in my life, actually, and I transferred out of the College of Pharmacy. I had the most credits in chemistry, so I became back to a chemistry major, and that's what I finished with, with an economics minor. And uh, I'm sorry to this day that I just didn't stick it out. I was so far and didn't stick it out and stay with pharmacy. So That's a really interesting story. And then it also, too, helps the emerging professionals in this industry know too that like it's okay if your education isn't necessarily linear like we were talking about before and that's really inspiring too so then in that case how has that like transferred into your work life you said it wasn't like necessarily linear so can you explain a little bit more about that sure definitely not linear so I knew that I didn't really want to work in the laboratory and do research after college I knew that I was a lot more motivated to be a communicator and work with people more directly in concepts and uh, create in a creative way so I became a um, salesperson and so my very first, like, real, I'll call it a paying job, not a temporary position, something like that, was working for Container Corporation of America. And so they were manufacturers of drums, different size drums. I worked for the paper drum division. And so we sold a lot to the chemical industry and pharmaceutical, food flavorings, those kinds of things. So I knew a lot Um enough to be dangerous for sure. I understood how uh, the linings in the drums would interact or not with whatever they were putting inside and what kind of lining would be required for different liquids and things like that. So I was able to speak technically to a certain level. And I learned a lot, of course, as you go, we all learn a lot as we get into something. But um, and I was also able to relate. So that but I always, you know, I always kept a part time job for a really long time um, as a hospital pharmacy technician, even though I wasn't a pharmacist, just because, and this is something that resonated and still resonates to this day throughout my career because I really liked helping people. And once I got into it, I recognized that the people in the hospital are not mostly there by choice. They're there because they're sick and they need help. And, um, you know, I was there to help in some small way, and it just made me feel good. Even on holidays, you know, like I was the low person on the totem pole all the time because I was a part-timer, and I would get called in or tagged to work Christmas Day, you know, Easter, like all of the big holidays, Thanksgiving, whatever. And uh, at first it was difficult to get myself there, but once I got there, I could see the patients because I would go into the nursing stations. I would be out on the patient floors delivering medications, delivering IVs and things like that. And I realized that those people did not choose 
that. And if it weren't for people like me and the people who are even more skilled than me, the doctors, the nurses, um, you know, where would those folks be? So, and that, that resonates t- right now today to what I do now. I um, tell people all the time that I believe truly in my heart that what we do as an A&E firm, what I do as a compliance professional, CQV professional, really does matter. Because if I don't do my job well in checking out a facility and checking out process equipment and making sure that it works the way that it should, then it's possible that the drugs won't be effective or safe for the patients to take. And maybe somebody will become, you know, more compromised more immunocompromised or something you know they'll get sicker or or the drugs won't work so i know that it matters it really does matter oh my gosh that's incredible yeah wow (laughs) and and actually you know because i had such a passion for it it didn't matter that my education wasn't exactly as a pharmacist i didn't make as much money as i would have so there was a financial impact but i could still stay involved and i got to tell you i've led a blessed life and been able to make choices that made sense for me in my life at the time no matter what my degree right. was. so. After college, did you have a, a, a clear and defined path? Uh, I, I know you were in the, in the pharmacy, but you, know, you, you switched a little bit during college. Um, you know, that's a, that? that's a theme, Chris. I, I switch a lot. <laughs> Not a lot, but I mean, I, I think a lot of young people. I am, like to think I'm a special snowflake, but I'm not all that different from everybody else. I think that we're all seekers when we're young, generally. Very few are the people who are so direct and so driven that they know from a young age exactly what they're going to do and exactly the mark that they're going to make in this world. So like everyone else, I try things on. I see if it fits, if I like it awesome. I'll stick with it. If I didn't, I moved on. A lot depended on what was um, the opportunity available to me in my life at that time as well. You know, kind of, and also the season I was in my life as a young person, I was able to travel a lot and try different things and be out and about. Um, I didn't have a lot of financial obligations other than just to myself at that time. Um, As I moved through my life and got married, had children, you know, it influences the decisions that you make. Um, so I would say that, yeah, I, so I did the Container Corporation of America job for a while. I ch- changed to another uh, drum manufacturer, so I picked up not just fiber drums, but polyethylene and steel drums. So polyethylene at the time was like, woo-woo, big-time technology. <laughs> yeah, plastic. So I was moving on up. Um, and from there, uh, that's when I um, took a step back, had uh, my first baby, was in a position where I didn't have to work. At that time, we moved to a place that had a lower cost of living, and so I stepped back but always maintained the part-time job as a pharmacy technician. So, uh, yeah, and and the pharmacy technician roles led me to other things. And so I was in the environment where I was learning about drugs. I was learning about metabolic pathways. I was learning about different application, um, drug application methodologies. I was learning about clinical trials. Uh, I was learning about institutional review board, which is um, you know the board on the hospital where they determine what clinical trials are allowed and what kind of research the physicians there can do. So I learned a lot of different things that, like I say, enough to make me dangerous, you know, in a very small way. And always just volunteering. Like I volunteered to step in and be the part-time secretary for the institutional review board when the secretary went off on maternity leave. You know, I volunteered to be to learn how to be an IV technician so that. I 
I could do the aseptic, aseptic manipulations required and prepare IV solutions for the patients. And so it, I was interested and I just kept volunteering and asking and asking and asking. So that's always something that I say too. And once I knew enough to be dangerous, you know, again, life just took me in a different place. The way that I got to IPS was I knew someone that was working here. I was transitioning, looking to transition uh, from a consulting gig where I only got paid when I worked to having a budgetable, regular salary. Uh, my friend said, hey, we're hiring here at IPS. Why don't you come apply? And I said, what is IPS? And she said, oh, we're an engineering company and we work with pharmaceutical companies primarily. I was like, okay, I know about pharmaceuticals. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I came in actually through the marketing department, which is crazy, whole other story. But I mean, again, it's just a bing, bing, bing. You know, uh, my mom had her own marketing company. And so this was the 70s. It was very different. I grew up helping my mother, seeing what she did as a business owner in the marketing field. And so while I have no formal marketing training, again, I know enough to be dangerous by association. So I came in and was a project manager for IPS in the uh, marketing department first. I was there for a year and a half. That lead to the getting into the CQV department? It did. So after being uh, at IPS, I really loved the company. I loved what we were doing. I was, you know, involved in some pretty key um, projects, one being the start of the IPS intranet, which were, you know, now have transitioned to nucleus. But um, my one of my very first big projects at IPS was to create and launch that application where we would have a place where we could all communicate and initially we don't see it now it's been closed down because it's very old technology but the front page changed the idea was to make it like a usa today of ips and so there was always a new banner article a new feature story that's when those polls uh, i don't know if you remember seeing the polls on the ips uh internet intranet but so that was what i did first but after you, you know, you conquer that and you say kind of what's next, I looked around and said, huh, what else can I do here? What else can I do? I'm not an engineer, so I'm not going to be designing facilities for sure. Yeah. Um, I didn't think I would qualify to be a, you know, a project delivery person. Uh, so I looked to validation and I saw that there were some people in the validation group that were not engineers. And I did a little bit more digging and, and spoke with Aaron Weinstein, who at the time was running the Pennsylvania office as a sort of a regional manager at that time and I applied and so after about a year and a half or 18 months at IPS I transitioned as a validation specialist and that is where the fun really began for me. So what exactly did you do as a validation specialist? Oh my gosh. So the day I started, um, there was another person who was new to our company that was a validation manager. And uh, our desks were next to one another. And he said, what do you know about validation? I said, absolutely nothing. So he walked me over to the library that we have now and had then uh, that had a lot of ISPE baseline guides and a lot of other reference materials. And he just started cherry picking off of the shelves and said, read this, read this, read this, start here, start here start here. I was placed on his project and uh, he had me starting to write protocols, documentation right off the bat using templates. And then uh, I learned within a month how to look at P&ID drawings, to look at airflow diagrams, uh, you know, with my augmented uh, reference reading to understand area classifications and things like that. So, I mean, I think I was just really eager to learn. I really wanted to know and 
and that's how I started to pick it up. I knew nothing when I started. Um, so that first project was a big learning experience for me. And fortunately for me, it happened to be an IPS integrated project. So IPS did the design. So I was reading, I, learning to read the very first time, but it, they were IPS drawings, design drawings. And then I was uh, able, once it got to a certain point in the construction, I was able to go out to the site. It was a Cephalon site in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I got to travel right out of the gate and go see and become involved in a greenfield facility so it was from the ground up I got to see it all and I was there through commissioning and then qualification and startup so it was super cool experience for me it helped me I think because I saw the whole project trajectory the whole timeline of an integrated CGMP project all right. So can you tell us a little bit more about what validation and qualification actually is, especially for, you know, someone like me, I'm just starting my career. This is literally my first job. And when I came into this company, I had no idea what validation was. I'm like, oh, it's those people that are on the job site sometimes. Can you explain a little bit more? Oh, I would be so happy to give it to you in my words. And so, um, you know, full disclosure, once again, I'm not an engineer, but I have learned this role working in this department from the ground up. When I first started, I knew nothing about validation, no idea what it was whatsoever. But what I can tell you from where I sit right now is that uh, in our CQV department, our, it's our responsibility to really understand the regulatory requirements of facilities and the operations that will take place within the facilities from whatever regulatory authority um, the production or manufacturing facility will be selling to. So if they're selling here in the United States, obviously we need to know all about the FDA regula regulations. And it's our job to understand what those are. And so it's very important for us to um, maybe not memorize every reference because you really can't. There's so much, but to know where to reach for it. Um, if they're manufacturing in Europe, we need to know the EU regulations or the World Health Organization regulations, and so you know, and so on, so on, so forth, wherever that is. So that's our primary responsibility. We bring that knowledge to our clients in whatever um, format we are working on a project, right? Um, but specifically, I always say, how lucky am I that I am the person who gets to go out in the field eventually and push the buttons and make the stuff go. And I have test equipment that I can play with, smoke generators and particle counters and like space age things that beep and, you know, click and whir. And, you know, I get to see all the stuff that our design engineers see basically in their plans so 2d or now 3d with uh, Revit and other tools but essentially I'm the one that gets to see it after it's built I walk down every P&ID drawing if there's a new facility or a renovation that's going on I will take the design drawings the mechanical design drawings specifically and I will walk down all the piping I'll walk down I'll make sure every valve that's specified to be there that's on the drawing in the specifications in the submittal appears in real life and if not I'll note it and we will work with the client together to make sure that that's okay so it really is a check and balance on the design basically I'm your comfort you know client I am your comfort that tells you that everything that you bought and specified and said that you wanted and the designers work to provide in their design that you approved actually appears further 
Not only is it there the way that we expect it to be there, but it works the way that we expect it to work. So that's pretty much what we do. At the end of the day, if I had to give a quick little, you know, spiel my elevator pitch to people who don't work in our industry is um, I work for an engineering consulting company. We specialize in pharmaceutical biotechnology life science clients. We design, build, and qualify their facilities to manufacture or do research or whatever the special sauce is. And um, my job specifically is to go in and document that it operates, it's built and operates the way that it's supposed to so that we have safe drugs for patients. So you act as the last line of defense before it hits hits the public. Exactly. But the really cool thing for us at IPS to understand is, yes, I come at the end, but the best thing of all is to start with the end in mind. So to I encourage all of my colleagues here at IPS to always invite, if, you're, if you have questions or if you're starting a big project, please ask a CQV person to just look at your design because we know from experience um, and seeing things that go sideways like we will be able to tell you and make sure sure for you that all of your design components meet the regulatory requirements save sort of saves you some rework sometimes at least at a very high level and i can also bring uh, drugs and therapies to patients earlier if you have to uh, go back and rework a design you're going to push it back another month or two and you know as well as spending a bunch of money to uh, redo everything. Yeah, as a business, you know, time is money. Yeah. But as a human being, time is lives saved. That's what we say. And I work a lot in cell and gene therapy at currently at the National Institutes of Health. And so we always say that like time is lives saved. Um, in terms of people that like you work with on a day to day basis, is there anybody that's very influential for you? And like, how have they made an impact on you and your career? Yeah, that's, um, I would say, that's a loaded question. Um, everyone that I work with, I think, influences me. I learn from everybody in every different department. We're so lucky here that we have an integrated company where people not only have the, the typical um, skills like accounting, you know, the support teams, but we also have different technical skills. So I learn a lot from everyone. But I would say that um, the most influential here at working with IPS would really be the project team that I'm on. And I have been so fortunate to be on so many project teams. You know, I've worked as an independent, not independent, but the only IPS consultant on a client site. And that was an experience and I'm glad I had it and it was good. Um, But I really enjoy working with teams. So the team that I work with, my project team is always so influential to me because we share so much. We spend so much of our time at work, you know, as adults. And so I honestly spend more time with the people I'm working with than I do with my own family. A lot of times they become my extended family. And um, I learn all the time from the project teams. And I really enjoy it. I highly respect um, all the people that I work with. Uh, so you are a certified life coach, which I feel like might help you working with those teams. Yeah, you know, I am uh, became certified as a life coach. Uh, I have actually two different certifications, but that um, only came to pass three or four years ago. So there's a, you know, I have a whole body of work working in teams before that. I think that... Um, You know, I've always been really interested in interpersonal relationships and communication and the ways that people work together and leadership and things like that. So I spent a lot of my own time reading um, 
personal growth books and you know listening to podcasts and things like that um I always knew this is kind of crazy I always knew that I was different than a lot of other people here at IPS in that I was technical but but there, I was. I always consider myself to be a little bit stronger in the communication and the soft skills than I was in the technical skills. Um, for us in the CQV department, probably all of us here at IPS, attention to detail is paramount. It's really important. The slightest change can make all the difference in whether a system's going to work or not, or you know, it could be a safety issue or a regulatory issue. So I've had to train myself to pay attention to detail. It doesn't come naturally to me. Naturally, I'm a big picture person. You know, a lot more about how people relate. Um, and so I knew I was different, and I just could never figure out how to pull all the pieces together in a meaningful way. And uh, I always wanted to be a trainer. I thought, oh, corporate training, that's where I should be. But again, I never really had the training or the opportunity for that. And uh, I was reading an article in a magazine one day, and it was an interview with a life coach, a woman who had been an attorney, a corporate attorney, in fact, at functioning at a pretty high level. And she said the same phrase in this article, she said, I never really felt like I quite fit in. I was good at what I did and I enjoyed what I did, but there was just something a little different about the way that I communicate. I was like, bingo, that's me. And she uh, said that she found her place in life coaching. And I thought, oh yeah, that would be cool. So I started doing some research and um, I do feel that it is sort of my life calling actually to be able to, um, not that I have any answers. I have no answers. I don't even have answers for myself sometimes about what I should do next. But I know that I am curious enough about people. I like people, I love people. And um, so much so that I can just ask questions. And I, I really honestly believe that people People have their own answers. We just can't see them. You know, we can't see. We're so mired in our own. We're so myopic about our own lives. We can't really see what's going on. We can't see the way our brains are thinking. And for me, uh, one of the basic tenets about the way that I um, help people and coach them is to get them to see how their brain is working and that the thoughts that you think create. Um, a feeling that you have in your body, like a call it an energy or some emotion or something like that. And based on the feelings that you have, you'll have an action. There's some action that you'll take or not take. It can be inaction, but that action will then give you your results that you have in your life. So through that sort of chain, the way that you think gives you the results that you have in your life. So if you don't like the results you have, back up the bus. Maybe all you need to do is change the way that you're thinking about your situation. We can't really, oftentimes we can't change our situations. They are what they are, but we can always change our thoughts. Our thoughts are optional. Every adult has about 50,000 thoughts a day. They flit in, they flit out. And um, there's you know neuroscience involved that says what we think repeatedly creates the grooves and really strengthens the connections of the synapses in our brain. And so it becomes easy. Our brains love easy. So we're just going to stick with what's easy. And if what's easy is the thoughts that aren't serving us and aren't getting us the results, we're going to continue to have that negative cycle. But if we can say, hey, recognize that the thoughts, the way that I'm thinking, I see what my brain's doing now, the way that I'm thinking isn't giving me the results. What are some new thoughts that I can think? that will baby step me toward what I really want. And so helping people to realize that and just really identifying for them what they want. So again, I think I mentioned this earlier when I was talking about 
how did I get into this career in the first place? I just always wanted to help people. And so to be able to help people get what they want in their lives is like the greatest calling of all. If I can be successful or help people along the on the path to getting the life that they want. So that's how, you know, life coaching, that's my take on life coaching. Um, I apply that all the time in the the teams that I work on. Not that I'm life coaching those people, but I'm oftentimes coaching myself to, you know, to work in the team appropriately and to have a positive impact. Um, But I do believe that it is uh, something that is super helpful in the work world to have somebody that you can talk to. I mean, I have spoken with our HR department and my managers. It's written into my job description now. So I'm available for anybody in our company that wants to try out life coaching. I mean, I specialize in career coaching. And even further, I have a niche um, where I help working women who travel a lot um, to kind of calm the anxiety and the confusion and the guilt that you feel when you are pursuing your career and also trying to pursue the goals that you have in your personal life. A lot of times family, you know, comes into play there and, uh, you can have what you want. I can't, I can't say you'll have it all. That's so trite, but you can have what you want and what you prioritize for sure in your life. Okay. So going off of that right now, emerging professionals, we're really young in our career. And yes, we want to exceed and excel and do well in the career that we have, but kind of like how you were saying that, like, you know, you thought there was something more for you. Like, what kind of advice can you give to us emerging professionals, whether in our career or even outside of our day to day lives in the in whatever we do as a job? There's kind of a two-pronged approach here. Uh, I'll give some advice for emerging professionals and Mm -hmm. anybody else, and then I'll also give some advice to those who are a little bit further along in their career and may want to give back. So um, I would say to those who are launching, or really to anybody, be curious. Be curious about yourself, um, about what feels good to you, about what feels authentic to you, because when you are operating from a position of authenticity, you are generally a lot happier. So try it on. And if it doesn't work for you as a young person, you know, see what you can do to tweak it or see what it is that isn't really suiting you right now or making you unhappy and see what you can do to work around that or change it. I would say my very number one piece of advice is find a mentor. Find someone that you can confide in, that you respect, and um, can sort of help help you make some choices along the way, that can listen to you when you see a fork in the road and you're not really too sure what to do, somebody that can give you their advice from their perspective or at least point you in places that you can look to find your answers. So that would be the number one piece of advice that I would give Um, people who are beginning a career, whatever path, try to identify somebody that um, doesn't even have to be in your same company, but ideally in your same field of work uh, that you can utilize as a mentor and work with them and be honest, be honest with yourself and be honest with uh, that mentor. And I would even go further and say, be as honest as as you can with the people that you work with, because that's how you're going to be happy and be able to be find that authentic place for yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know that here at IPS we have, mm-hmm. you know, we have a program. <coughs> Obviously, we have a, a formalized mentoring program, which is awesome. Um, sometimes it can be really hard to find a mentor. Sometimes it can be really hard to, if you want to be a mentor, to find a mentee. Um, so we have that program in place. 
you know, utilize it. It's built in. I know some companies assign mentors. I'm not a big believer in that because I think if you're assigned someone, again, you're kind of veering away from that relationship or, you know, and it's okay to try, like, like anything else, try it on. Meet with somebody. You don't have to say, hey, I'm thinking about you as my mentor right out of the gate. Just ask somebody. Um, people like to be flattered and ask questions and just say, you know, I'm really interested. I see that you are, um, working in the electrical engineering department and I am kind of on this project where there's I'm finding out that there's a lot I don't know about about emergency power and I'd really like just to sit and maybe have lunch together one day and pick your brain like that's a way to talk to somebody you know and just see if it's a good fit if you can relate well together or if they really do have information that you want to know more about and how they um, you know what values they use to guide their professional life does that make sense yeah for sure and for those in the professional world right now, what do you recommend for them? Oh, number one piece of advice that I got. I was, again, a very young woman, 27 years old. I'll never forget this. Uh, my manager at the time said to me something that I thought was kind of like off the wall, but he has is stood the test of time and proven to be true. He said to me, the mark of a really good manager is how many people are promoted from that person's person's management on in the company. In other words, like the people, like you don't have to uh, rule with an iron thumb or make sure that nobody gets promoted over you or anything like that. It's really, you're a good manager when you are bringing people up and training them and sort of succession planning, you know what I mean? So that they can go on and achieve the heights in their careers that they want to. That is the mark of a good manager. So I would say to those that are further along in their career, take that message to heart. Look for someone that you can mentor. Look to pass along what you've learned and the key things that have made a difference in your career. Find people to share that with. Um, you know, start a blog. Uh, write some. Write a white paper. Offer to give a lunch and learn. Offer to be a speaker at an industry organization. ISPE, especially the local chapters, um, any of the engineering specialty organizations, women in bio, women in pharma, like there's so many different industry organizations that are always looking for speakers. Um, share the information that you have, and it doesn't have to be technical to be valuable. I'll share that as well. Like it doesn't have to be technical. It can be your experience or your story or something compelling that you learned along the way that people can make a difference for somebody else. Well, thank you, Joanne, for uh, taking the time to talk with us today. Really appreciate having you here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm so inspired now. Oh, I'm going to have to come to you for life coaching advice and everything. You guys are crazy. But yes, I'm so happy, so honored, actually, to be a guest on the inaugural IPS podcast. I'm so um, inspired by you all and that you have taken this grain of an idea, this little nugget, and really blown it up. Here I am sitting in a recording studio at IPS with professional equipment, and um, this is amazing. You are definitely keeping us ahead of the rest of the crowd with this. So thank you for having me. And uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, if you're an IPS employee, you can, of course, reach me on Teams. You can chat with me there. You can reach out to my email address. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. You can find me on Facebook. And I also have uh, my own website for life coaching where you can um, contact me there and reach out and schedule an appointment with me. That website address is joannemaloro.com, J-O-A-N-N-E-M-E-L-O-R-O.com. 
Well, that's a wrap on our first episode. I hope you found the conversations today really enlightening and hopefully you're a little bit more inspired to progress through your career in an open-minded and curious manner. And so thanks for listening and tune in again on June 29th for the next episode. See you there.